Hi, this is Richard Every, USA Rugby National Panel Manager. You're listening to Rugger Matrix USA. Thank you, Richard. Richard Every joining us from the referees for episode 014 of Rugger Matrix USA, laying down the law. I'm your host, Jero Sen, joined shortly by Bruce McLean. Today we cover everything about the new law interpretations from the viewpoint of the men in the middle. We also cover a couple of other subjects with our men in charge of the game. This is Rugger Matrix USA. Yes, hello, I'm your host, Jero Sen. This is episode 14 of Rugger Matrix USA. Bruce McLean, good day to you. Bronk, it's a wonderful day. I'll tell you, it's been a great week. The weather's been outstanding. The congressional votes have been despicable. But <laughs> other than that, we're, uh, we're doing all right. I'll tell you, Super League was a, was, a, was a fun week this week. Everybody got themselves, all the games got played. There were no weather, weather-related issues causing cancellations. And there were a couple nice games in the, in, in the league that happened this week. Charlotte, at home, opened up very well against Boston Irish Wolfhounds, winning 34-21. to and Life University opened up their season against Potomac Athletic Club with a comprehensive 53-13 to victory. Denver Barbarians, I'll tell you, they bounced back from their game against Golden Gate last week and won 47-0 over Ombak. I think Ombak has a lot of young players that they're really trying to blood, and, and they're probably experiencing a few growing pains. The big story is Old Puget Sound Beach, who's been a whipping boy over the past few years. Evan Haig has got them going pretty well. They beat Dallas 22-19 down in Dallas. And it's very difficult to beat a Dallas side in Dallas. They're a different team on the road than they are at home. But I'll tell you, those guys at Puget Sound, more power to you. Great, great season to start with. Dallas doesn't have Vaughn Crow, which is kind of like having uh, Grant Fox at Eden Park. But you know, it's still a fine effort by the by the part of Old Puget Sound. Chicago Griffins played Chicago Lions, and they won 12 to seven. And that that was a game that was marred by a little bit of snow and and not really a, not really tremendous weather conditions. And I feel bad because both of those teams try to play expansive rugby and really try to play a flowing game. And it and and they're both very well coached and very well drilled. And to see those guys play to a 12-7, kind of almost like a stalemate, I think that was more due to weather than athletic ability. Those teams are very good. And my team, New York Athletic Club, was able to beat a very strong Boston side, 32-16, and, um, and we, were able to, we were able to get a bonus point, and we were pretty happy with the result being able to do that on the road. So where that leaves us is we're at the top of the table at the Blue Conference or the Eastern Conference with 10 points. Life has five, but has a game in hand. Charlotte has five and has a game in hand. Boston's one and one has four, but having played us, that now Boston's pretty potent and they and, and they could they could do well going forward. Old Blue New York had a bye this week. Pack is still without a win, and Boston Irish are 0-2, and they're a little bit behind the eight ball. Then in that, that they still have to play Boston and Life. So, and on the western side, we have Puget Sound Beach is in first place with nine points. Chicago Griffins tied with them with nine points. Both of them, who had struggled in the past, are really doing well. And Denver Barbarians got themselves back on track with five points. Golden Gate has a game in hand on everybody. They have five points there, obviously, the team that beat out West. Chicago Lions is got um, they got one point and a bonus loss. Dallas Harlequins has one point and a bonus loss. And I'm back 0-2. Now, 
the Chicago Lions have a game in hand, and I think they're going to be looking to turn things around. They are a perennial playoff team, and I don't think this year is going to be any different. So interesting stuff going on, and uh, St. Mary's and Cal played a, a really big game, the last game at Witterfield for Cal Berkeley, the perennial national champions, although they did lose last year in, 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 uh, to BYU. And I think that they're looking to rectify that situation. They beat St. Mary's fifty-four to five, or fifty-five for the, or fifty-four to three, or something like that. It was a pretty, pretty comprehensive victory. Although St. Mary's played well in the first half, and just kind of botched a couple tries and and, and missed a few kicks that, um, you know, probably opened up the floodgates and and Cal in their last home game before they destroyed Witterfield and and redo it was uh, you know, it was a, a pretty fair effort. But Cal is definitely the team to beat, that's for sure. And there's a couple of uh, couple of really strange stories out of the United States in terms of there was a, a female rugby game in East Palo Alto area, and then there was another game in, uh, I believe it was in the San Francisco area, there were shootings at the game. And, you know, yeah. these kind of things can't happen. I mean, it's just a, a real black eye on, on the sport. And it, it, it's not the players or anything, but it's the people that the players are hanging around with and people that they're people that are going to these games and really acting in an uncivilized manner. And, uh, you know, and, 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 and it happens in Northern California and, and it, and the people are going to have to really take a look at who they're allowing to come to these games and who they're hanging out with and who, and who is, you know, ancillary parts of these clubs, because it, we can't have things like that and expect to grow our game. But that being said, we have the chief law enforcement officer <laughs> in the United States right. from the country of South Africa, where they love law enforcement. <laughs> right. So without further ado, let's bring in Richard Every to discuss the laws of the game, then their application. And Jiro, I know this is something you've been going <laughs> on and on about on Rugged Matrix these. USA. This is going to be a show where you're really chiming in. And so let's have at it. Richard, welcome to the show, buddy. Thanks, Bruce. Thanks, Jiro. Well, Richard, <laughs> let's <laughs> firstly get into it. Overall, uh, what do you think about the law interpretations? How have they been implemented in Super League 2010 so far? Well, we obviously, you know, we, the RB ruling came out regarding the, the tackle situation, the tackler and players in, entering through the gate. So that is definitely one of our main focuses. And, of course, it would um, the outcome of that would be to, to speed up the game and to also um, benefit the team that's in possession of the ball. So focusing on players having to come through the gate and even a defender who takes a play to ground having to either step back or have the tackle player going down in front of them so they can enter the gate and play the ball. Um, even though we have been focusing on that, um, that, that part the referees have been able to apply the law correctly. But the, there's definitely an issue with getting the tackler away quick enough still. And there's also an issue of whether when players go to ground, whether they're actually clearing out players to make the ball immediately available or, or they're just sealing the ball. And I think that the main thing that the referees are struggling with differentiating between those two is that they, their awareness of why they're getting slow ball is, is, is not 100%. You know? So um, what I've been working with with the referees is 
when a team is attacking, for them to be aware what the opposition would would do, would do to counteract that and to just create slow ball in order in order for the defensive lines to get back into position, you know. So we've we've been trying to enforce a much uh, stricter application of the law there, so the tackler just moves away. Um, if the tackler lies, then puts his arms in the air, you know. I want my referees to just penalise them. So. We're following the process. We're um, a long way away from uh, from getting a good application at the tackle right now because uh, we're definitely getting a lot of slow ball. And um, my my interpretation of that from looking at the videos is just people are sitting the ball and the tackler is not getting away. So that's what we will be focusing on from uh, from the third third week of the Super League. And Richard, when you're talking about sealing the ball, are you talking about the defensive player sealing the ball, or are you talking about the attacking player sealing the ball? Talking about the attack, attacker sealing the ball. In, in other words, they, they they can be no contest. You know, I mean, we 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 find with an attacking player going and taking a tackler away and making the ball available, which is fine as long as they move go over the ball and the ball's available. But they 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 back to where they were two years ago, where they would just go straight down onto the players on the ground, and they'd be over the ball. So the ball wouldn't, wouldn't come quickly either because the ball would still be under that player. I got, I got a quick question. I just want to back up here a second, Bronk, before you get into it. Hmm. Richard, our interpretation of the law, as far as, as far as you're concerned and the referees in America are concerned, is yeah. the interpretation as is being used by the Super 14 as opposed to the interpretation that is being used by the, you know, flop on the ball premiership or the Magners flop on the ball league or the flop on the ball sick nations. Am I correct? And then, then we can just sit and say, because now I think that a few weeks into the Super 14, when you watch Guinness premiership matches or Magners league matches or, or even six nations matches that the, the speed of play, the entertainment value is in my mind far greater in the Super 14 at this juncture than it is in the other competitions. Hopefully, it changes in the Heineken Cup, but you know, at, at this point, I'm going to have to disagree with Eddie O'Sullivan a little bit here and say I am not enjoying what I'm seeing up north, and I am enjoying thoroughly what I'm seeing down south. Well, you know, I, w I wouldn't just jump in and say that everything they're doing in the Super 14 is correct because I think that they have a they have a, a big range of refereeing in the competition. So they've got very senior referees and they've got very junior referees and the application of the law is, is very much inconsistent throughout. So, um, you know, if, if, if you say to, to me that, you know, it's, it's much more entertaining because there was a game that was 72-65, you know, I have to ask you, did you really think that that was rugby? Do you really think that 28 penalty kicks in the game is a good thing? Do you think that when they take at least 10 to 15 penalties as quick taps, I mean, is, is that really rugby? So, you know, I mean, there's the, you can debate it from both sides. Um, I do think uh, when, when the referees are getting it right in the Super 14 and they maintain quick ball throughout the game, it, it does make it a lot more exciting. But I don't think it's, um, it, it always happens, you know. We always talk about the contest in the game, though, Richard, and you talk about mm -hmm. that not happening. Uh, and, and Les Kiss, uh, the Ireland defence coach, is an expert in this field, had some grave fears about the implementation of the new law interpretation. 
And sure. that was the loss of the contest, and you've already covered it. Did you guys uh, contemplate the scenario before you saw it uh, develop? Well, the Super 14 did, did actually start before the uh, the Super League started. So mm. we, we had a pretty good idea of, of how, it was, um, how it was happening. I think that... Um, the biggest thing is that we 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 still want there to be a competition, but at at the breakdown, you know. And I I always say to the referees that if if it's a, a situation where players completely isolated, and the momentum is with the other players and they are on their feet, I don't really care that they are not 100% through the gate. You know, you have to make the call according to the momentum of the game. And if it's three on one and there are no defenders around, just let the the call should definitely go to the players on their feet, you know. So we we try not to be too technical, but but in in most situations they they would have to apply it according to law, and um, it's really difficult for, for players to um, to contest at the breakdown. You see, I mean, uh, in, in many games now, especially the, the the better teams in the league, you see that they they would just not contest at all. You know, they would they would just step back. On most occasions, which is, um, I don't know if it's good. I don't think it's that good for the game, but I do think that um, if you look back at uh, George Smith, he, he, he was still able to to um, contest for the ball and to turn over quite a lot of ball. You know, I think it's all to do with timing at the breakdown. Richard, I don't think that there's a there's not a huge benefit for coaches to coach their players to go for the ball. Because everybody is looking at the guy going down and trying to trying to poach the ball. Now, you could still have a tackle contest and you could still have a ruck contest. And it basically takes place with people on their feet having come through the gate. And yeah. essentially what you do is you, is you try to win like a scrum is a pushing contest. Well, essentially, in, instead of turning a ruck into I'm going to try to win the ball with my hands you turn the ruck into a pushing contest where people have their hips below their head their hips below their head and they drive over the ball through the gate and have a pushing contest for the ball and in those situations when you when you have a player isolated or you have them outnumbered or you know you have a, a strong guy who can come through and stay on his feet those situations are times when you can get a turnover the other situations where you're looking to, where you're looking to go and and uh, and go down and poach for the ball, all they really got to do is pull you forward, or you got to trip, or you fall, and and you're liable to penalty. And that, and and I and I think that that's why coaches are not having people go in. They just it's a different type of contest than it yeah. was in the past. But that doesn't mean it's not a contest. But it's heavily in favour the heavily in favour of the attacking team. But in, sure. that, yeah. but in that regard, uh, we talked about this. We actually, we, lo we love the referees, Richard. Don't get us wrong. And we've always <laughs> given them a rap. But my feeling in particular is that we're, we're putting extra pressure on them at the breakdown. And if you're watching the Super 14, Richard, you're, you're picking mm -hmm. up a lot of inconsistency. And I'm seeing it every yeah. week. Particularly because now that uh, between the release of the rugby ball and uh, and the player releasing the tackled player, it's such a fine detail. And as soon as one or two other players are around the side of or in, uh, around the ruck, 
it makes it very tight to pick. And, and sometimes on replays, uh, you have to make a decision uh, three or four times after watching it. it. This whole thing makes it really hard for you guys to do. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Um, I think... Like I said to you, uh, mentioned earlier, is that our, our referees are definitely being being very being very good in in judging whether players are actually coming through the gate or not. You know, especially the first player where the tackle lands at their feet, so that they can clearly see whether that player is in the gate or not, and ensuring that they move out. But they then have to focus on the on the tackler as well. So you know, they but when there's a couple of tacklers. And it's a little it's, bit messier. Yeah. That's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it just becomes a huge grey area, mm. and uh, you know, with the referees concentrating on the players on their feet more, they they seem to be missing the tackler right now. Mm. You know, and and vice versa. So, I, I definitely think that a lot of times, you know, people miss the tackler, and then the tackler rolls into the attacking side, attempting to quote unquote get out. Hmm when in fact they're getting in the way. And the other thing is, Richard, I, I had a question about, like, instead of saying everything's a penalty, sometimes a ball is just unplayable and you just call a quick unplayable. It's not anyone's fault. It's just unplayable. And it's called for a scrum. To the attacking side. No, but, to the team moving it, forward. Well, the team moving forward. I'm saying it becomes unplayable. Nobody can really move forward. When you have an unplayable ball, there's no real move forward. It's just, bam, it's kind of down and pinned, and then there's people over. Yeah. And there's nothing yeah, you, you know, can do. Like, then, you, then you have what's – like an, un, an, an unplayable ball goes to the team moving forward, but that, is, that assumes that there was a ruck contest before that. I'm saying it, it's, that's a very quick – you know, that ball's not – you could tell sometimes, and maybe five times a game, that the ball's not coming out. And just call yeah. those unplayable immediately as opposed to waiting, you know, for three or four more guys to go in there and slam their heads in there and, and see what happens. So I'm I definitely that, that... more sorry, I'm I'm definitely more of a supporter of the referees using the unplayables as a management tool. So you know, if if the referee was able to set a standard and now they be, they're able to get the tacklers away quick enough and the ball is coming quickly. As the game progresses, it happens maybe that the tacklers are not moving away as quickly as they as they were before, and it, it's always a good idea for the referee to then use an unplayable and just to remind players what is expected of them so that they get away quicker. Um, the fact that you say that every now and then there are unplayable situations, it's it's actually pretty rare. You know, it's on on most occasions um, something has happened that the referees probably missed that the ball is not coming out. You know. It, it does happen, but not very often. I think on most occasions, it's it, there's just a whole pile of people that have got in there, and, and you know, um, someone is definitely doing something that they shouldn't be. No, I mean I don't disagree with you there, but um, mm. Bronk, I don't know how it is in the Super 14, but one, I think one of the reasons the tacklers hold on a little bit extra is that, especially in a leg tackle, you make a leg tackle, you take them down and then you immediately release, and then the guy gets up and keeps on running like yeah. he wasn't held. You took him to the ground, and you held him down. He's got to release the ball yeah. and then get to his feet, pick it up, and run. But they're just letting him keep going as if, you know, he got ankle tapped. And, and I think that that's one of the reasons that people hold on to the ball. People hold on to the tackled player, and, and it very seldom is that action penalized 
by referees, especially in a leg tackle. A guy makes a leg tackle and takes him down and then releases very quickly, as he should, hmm. and then the other player gains another 8 or 10 yards because he got up and played the ball illegally. And I, I, have you seen that happen in Richard? It definitely happened in preseason games. I haven't seen it much, but in, in the uh, in the regular season games, we played one in such dreadful weather, nothing happened. And then we played... And then we played one where it was, you know, pr- pretty physical game, but that didn't that that didn't happen that often. And actually, yeah, well, when it you, did happen, it did get penalized. The, the the thing that I did notice, which is even more concerning, is is the, is the tackle player getting up with the tackler still holding on to him, and the referee's missing that, which is just unacceptable at this at this level, you know. But. Uh, uh, I understand what you're saying, that sometimes players are tackled and they are allowed to get back up again. But, um, you know, that's just a refereeing issue. You know, the, you, you expect the referees not to allow players to get back to their feet if they've been tackled and taken to ground. You know, this, if, if, if they're knocked to ground, sure, they can get up, you know. But if so, they're tackled, no. So, uh, I don't want to harp on this, but uh, I just want to talk about the implementation of, and I talked about the possibility of two referees on the international show, Richard, but um, mm-hmm. I noticed in the Super 14 um, that uh, that the particular attention that now must take place at the breakdown is uh, causing other things to suffer. And in particular, the offside line, uh, I find in Super 14, has disappeared and uh, is not adjudicated to any great extent. And, uh, you know, it's quite simply, I don't think it's good enough what's what's happening. And, um, and I think everyone is so focused... On, on the breakdown, particularly because game one or week one is so much more different to week six. Yeah. Uh, you know, you say that the referees are more are more involved at the tackle. And, um, yeah, I, I think a, a lot of the referees are definitely approaching the breakdown square on as opposed to at a 45-degree angle so that they, they have a, that whole visual around them of which way the game's going and where the gate is and where players are entering. And Richard, I, all... and then the next thing I want to just throw in there before we keep going is that when they swing around to check, then that's when all the madness happens. Blokes yeah. are coming in from the side and then briefly uh, the, the breakdown turns a bit of a schmozzle mm-hmm. until the referee turns back and puts his attention on the breakdown. Yeah. So what I try and how I try to uh, coach our referees is that they approach the breakdown from a 45-degree angle so that their shoulders are north-south, meaning face parallel to the goal lines, so that they have the whole visual perspective of the tackle and which players are coming from which direction. And they got a clear visual of where the gate should be at the tackle. And I want the referees to facilitate the tackle and ensure that the ball has been secured. And, you know, the process that we would like them to use is to say no hands and then call a ruck and not just call ruck, ruck, ruck all day, you know, but be sure that a ruck has actually formed. And only when the ball is secured to make sure that the back lines are in place. But if you're in a north-south position, all you have to do is stand and look up and then move move away from the tackle because you've ensured the ball is secured and then you're looking at the back lines. And, you know, what happens with, with a lot of referees, and we noticed it in the Super uh, 14 as well, is that a lot of referees approach the breakdown square on so their shoulders are parallel to the to the touch lines. So they're standing there looking at it. All the stuff's happening in front of them. And when they look at the back lines, they're pretty much in no man's land, which will be the area between the two offside lines of the two teams of the ruck. And they, they're either looking over their shoulder at the back lines or they or they turn towards them and look at them. But they're 
they've got no perspective of exactly where the offside lines are because of their positioning. So, you know, you'd, you'd also think having radios that that it would just come through the radio pretty much. Yes. You know, but, I, yeah. but, you know, I mean, all our referees have radios too, but, you know, I mean, you have senior referees and you have not so senior assistant referees. So there's, there's always trying to find that balance, you know, of whether the referees are actually listening to the calls, you know, what is the evaluating system that's in place for the referees? You know, uh, we talk about referees being accountable, but uh, how accountable are they really? You know, um, well, uh, I think Mike, Mike Tolkien and, uh, and Chuck Denigian, the former old blue coach, were, were speaking about that to, uh, to me at, at different times on Saturday about the referees not approaching at a 45-degree angle like they used to and that they, they do get themselves into the no-man's-land area more often than they had in the past. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that you're addressing that issue and, and, and having the player and having, them, having the refs come in from different, different, uh, a different angle to, to get a better perspective as to what's happening. Now, I, I want to kind of sure. get a little less helter-skelter as to how we're doing. I wanna, wanted to talk us through, you're a referee – and I've tackled Bronk. What are we looking for? And then, you know, which I is have very, a very Bronk unlikely, by Let's... the way. Yes, yes, highly <laughs> unlikely. I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> well, maybe these days with my with my uh, with my torn ACL. With your gimp knee, yes. <laughs> but um, I've seen you. I've seen you in the clever interview video. So. Uh... I'm not, you, you, <laughs> You know, this isn't skinny Bronk either, brother. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't the skinny young fullback. Yeah. This is the uh, this is this is the middle-aged parent Bronk. This is a sol- <laughs> still solid, but still solid. But uh, yeah, go on. Hey, so you've, yeah, you've tackled you me. Us, if you could talk us through a, a tackle situation through to a ruck, what exactly is the referee scanning for? And I know that this is all happening very quickly. And I'd like you to talk us through two situations. One is the body sack. Where the guy comes in and I throw you down to the ground. That's the same mm-hmm. video that you had put out for USA Rugby. And the other one yeah. is when I make a tackle, a classic tackle. I hit you at the hips and and knock you down. If you could just talk us through what is the referee looking for from the tackler, the tackled player, and the first support people on either side. Okay, so in, in the situation where a player gets taken to ground by a defender, so the player is running towards the defender, the defender grabs him and takes him to ground, but the defender stays on their feet, okay? That that defender has to be... The player that's gone to ground is the tackled player. The player that's taken him to ground that stays on his feet is not a tackler. So that player has to then come through the gate. So if you take a player down... like. Well, what used to happen before is you used to take a player down at your feet and just lean over and play the ball, right? So the way, according to the RB ruling, that player now has to come through the gate. So they have to pretty much put the player down either away from their body so that they can step into the into the tackle zone area and actually play the ball, or if they go down with the player at their feet, they've got to step back before they can come back in and play the ball, which is pretty difficult. You know, once you've taken that, step back it's a split second enough for an um a support player of the tackle player to come through and take you out um in a situation i want to i want to stop you there 
and there's another situation where you come into me and you're going to be body sacked, but I have my hands on the ball as you go down. Can you talk well, us if, through that one? Yeah, if if I'm the defender and I, I get my hands on the ball rather than grab your body and take you to ground, if I have my hands on the ball and the, the attacking player tries to go to ground to recycle the ball, but I'm holding on the ball and I'm staying on my feet, they have to release the ball to me. Because I'm, I'm not tackling and taking them to ground. They, they're just trying to go to ground. And now they end up on the ground, but I'm still on my feet. And I'm holding the ball. They have to release it. Okay, that's, that's perfect. That's, ex that's exactly what I wanted to hear. That's exactly what I think the listeners want to hear. And now, I, and I, I wanted to clarify the two different situations. One is where I have the ball and the ball has not gone to ground and I am on my feet. And the other one is where the ball and ball carrier have gone to ground. You, not, you have no rights to it. You have to go back through the gate. In, in the situation where you have the ball, you don't have to go back through the gate. No. You, you, ha you have rights to the ball. That's a penalty on the tackled player. And yeah. now, now, this, now could you talk us through the classic tackle situation? Well, we would like to think that this has always been in place, that if, if Team A tackles Team B player, the Team A player needs to immediately release that player and get to their feet or they need to roll away. And the player that was tackled needs to can either pass the ball, place the ball, but they cannot hold on to the ball. So, I mean, that's a simple scenario. I mean, it, it all happens so quickly, though. So, you know, players arrive at the breakdown. You know, if players are binding over the ball, a ruck is formed. Often now you get the supporting player taking the tackler away. So sometimes the tackler isn't get an opportunity to move away because the game is so quick that they just get taken, they just get driven over the ball. I want to so, talk to you now. Just, just, I, we need to do another point of clarification for the listeners. Mm -hmm. You, I tackle Bronk. One of Bronk's teammates comes in. One of my teammates comes in, and they form a very quick ruck over the ball. They've both come through the gate. I yeah. get to my feet after that ruck's been formed, and then I go in from the side or from the wrong side and try to play the ball. What's the call? It's a penalty against you. Yes, I yeah, and I, and I just want everyone to know that the tackled player only has rights to the ball from outside the gate while there is no ruck. That's right, yeah. And that, and that's so and that's why and I think that that's one of the places where people are are messing up there. They say, "Well, I'm the tackle or I can put my hands on the ball." You can't. As no. soon as two people have come there, you have now lost all rights and you must go back through the gate. You only can get up as if it happens very quickly in an isolated situation where you can get up and make a play for the ball. Once the support player's over it, you must go back through the gate. Yeah, Correct? we would also expect, we, we would hope players would be very aware of it because it's very difficult in that situation that it happens so quickly for the referee to actually have called ruck, you know. So often yeah. at times the referee had, didn't even have an opportunity to call ruck, and they just they penalised the player, the tackler, and the tackler might not even necessarily have had the visual of the ruck forming over him. But know? I mean, the fact of the matter is, he has to, it, regardless of what of what anyone says, he has to get out of the way. And whether right. or not the referee is called ruck, that is what's causing the the, the two situations that are causing a lot of the problems are the, are the body sack 
and the guy not going, uh, releasing and getting back through the gate, and the tackled player getting up while a ruck is forming or formed and trying to make a play for the ball after he has lost rights to make a play for the ball. Those are the two areas that we have to, <clears throat> that need to be coached better, that the players need to understand, and then it will be more easily adjudicated. And I think yeah, that, I mean, there's a disconnect, I think. I, I, there is a disconnect. I was actually I was just on the phone with you and McKenzie two seconds before this, and we were talking about this same thing, that that players just want to go for the ball, and it's just something that's naturally been in them since they've watched George Smith, Phil Warren, Richie McCaw, and, 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 and all the players that, that go for the ball that they see on TV that they've seen for the last decade, and now things have changed a little bit. And it's just a matter of kind of uncoaching them from that desire to go for the ball in when they shouldn't. And, and that's, you know, kind of that make it a ruck contest, uh, a pushing contest over the ball, as opposed to uh, a groveling contest on the floor. Yeah. Well, you know, looking at the first two seasons of the super of the super league, um, what I think is, is the bigger problem is definitely the tackle not rolling away, the um, players going down and just sealing the ball like they did two seasons ago. It seems to have come back. And the other thing I'd like referees to just be very aware of is the attacking team entering from the side to retain possession. Because um, I think that that is also something that's been happening a lot. And you, you especially see that in the Super 14. I think you, we're seeing a lot of the attacking team joining from the side to seal to to uh, retain position. Okay, can we just... Uh, I want to take a quick step back, and you talked about mm-hmm. this, uh, Richard, at the start, but the origins for this new law interpretation. You've just said a whole lot of stuff that should have been in pl- place anyway, as you talked about yeah. tacklers rolling away and uh, <laughs> and people coming in from the side. They've been in there since day dot. So yeah. why do you think we've had to do this? Well, I think what, what has happened is that we obviously see that there has been such a clear differentiation between the north and the south, you know, and um, I think when it comes to officiating, you know, even when I was still living in the southern hemisphere and we had um, referees from the northern hemisphere, you know, I've actually never had a problem with the northern hemisphere referees. Um, I've always thought that they they give you a pretty, they deliver a pretty consistent product. You know, and, and you always had a pretty good idea of, of, of which way they were going. I always thought that the Southern Hemisphere referees, you you had a, had more of a situation where you, you didn't know what they were going to do next. And I, I don't know if it's because the competitions are different, but there's definitely a different style of refereeing. And um, I think in the Southern Hemisphere, a lot of the top referees, which uh, a lot of them have recycled out of the program now, but they were more... Uh, the kind of players referee where they would referee the game within the context of the game with the momentum of the game rather than just by law. So there's definitely been, it's, you know, the approach has been completely different. And I think what the, what the RB are trying to do is that they're trying to establish some kind of consistency and what they've done now with the tackle law, obviously it's, it's better to start it in the super 14 because it's the beginning of, of their season, but to to suddenly apply it to the to the middle of the Manias League or the middle of the Heineken Cup or the Guinness Premiership wouldn't be wouldn't be right. You know, I mean, you can't just change something that 
that drastically, but I do think that it will change by the following season. So my point is, if we were refereeing to the letter of the law anyway, we we wouldn't need this. Uh, I tend to think that we enter fads, and um, you know we've just been through a period of ELVs, and mm-hmm. now we've had to introduce this. Got to be frustrating. Yeah, it's. It's actually, you know, it's, it's. I'm sure it's very frustrating for players, especially with uh, with our Super League here, yeah, because we only have seven rounds and then we have the playoffs, so we don't have a lot of opportunity. Uh, we we only have 13 referees in the group, so we we don't have a large group of referees. But you know, the senior referees would do maybe four to six matches in the season, and the junior referees probably two. So. We don't have a lot of opportunity for for referees to to develop and to establish that consistency, but um, we do, we do try and achieve this just through video and through the new evaluating system that we've set up. You know, and what but, um, um, it's you, difficult. You talked about when referees call ruck and the communication. What are mm-hmm. the key phrases that that your referees have to have to go on the paddock when it comes to talking about the breakdown? What what do you want to hear? We want them to use selective communication. So. If they need to tell a player to roll away, to tell them to roll away. If the player's already slowed down the ball, then we would like them to penalise that player. You know, um, so we don't necessarily tell them exactly what they should say or when they should say it, but we do say that they need to communicate to players when a ruck is formed. We prefer them to say hands out and then call ruck because the hands out just gives them a little bit more of opportunity. And that when they call ruck to ensure that the ball is secured at the back and that they would then go on and look at the back lines. Um, we don't have any specific uh, communication that we want them to use except for the hands away ruck. And, um, you know, obviously advantage communication, we, we expect them to, to say that it was that you're playing penalty advantage or um, scrum advantage, so the players, players know what's, what situation they're in. Um, what, what we're more concerned with, with with referees is that they facilitate the game. So they facilitate the breakdown to ensure that they, they, they get quick ball, create space in the game by ensuring that the players are onside. You know, I mean, that's, that's pretty much the, the, the really basic approach to refereeing. And of course, then... Um, to ensure that all their restarts go smoothly, which the scrum is just another world in its own, you know. Well, I'd, I'd like to I'd like to get into that, and and the offside line being the, behind the last foot of the player in the ruck. I think a lot of the guys who stand in the in the guard position or the post position or the or the one position or the pillar position, whatever you call it. Yeah. Some people call it the A position, but in in the US it. Pillar AB is what they call it in the USA defensive system. Uh, the pillars tend to be in front of the last foot, and that Always. just sets the line into a disaster and yeah. takes it yeah. a yard and a half off sides. So we got to get that right, and I think that's that's something that everybody's been working on. And I've, I've actually seen some videos where a lot of teams have gotten a lot better at doing that. But now we want to talk about scrum engagement. Scrum engagement and binding – and 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 the and the cadence. One of the things that uh, Ewan McKenzie was talking about in the Super 14 was that the cadence is is very slow and deliberate, and it has helped. And actually, USA Rugby went to that a year ahead of time. 
last year you were using probably a slower cadence last year than we used this year. And and could you just talk us through and then the straightness and the binding and it's a pushing contest. And I'm going to get first thing. Uh, Richard is going. He, Richard does videos that he sends out to coaches and referees. He's going to send the links to to Juro Sen, and Juro is going to put them up when the show is posted, so that everybody can go and see the the, the links and and the coaching that Richard has been doing with the top level referees in America, and everybody will have access to it. Second thing is the scrum engagement. I'm going to get Bill Leclerc, the USA Scrum Coach, to send us his document and we'll put that up online as to how to keep a scrum straight and square and it's essentially not allowing people to go in at the hooker or essentially to go left if you go left in a scrum you're going to cause destabilization that's what the whole step left thing is about but we'll, we'll we'll save that for when we have bill on the show and we'll talk about the technical aspects of scrummaging then and but we'll just talk about the refereeing aspects now what are you looking for well, we already started last year that uh, you know we had we wanted teams to to engage on the referees engage call. So it was a very distinctive crouch touch. Ensure that players extend the arm and do touch the shoulders. Um, bring that arm back, and then there'll be a clear pause and engage on the referees call. And I think that the key was that the players would pause. And, you know, the problem right around the world has been that the referees have not enforced the pause. So it's been crouch, touch, pause, engage. And um, as soon as you have the pause, engage, going together, there's definitely room for one team to lead the engage on the other team. You know, obviously, the engage part is, is, is a huge area for front row players to um, gain dominance in the scrum. So... All that all that we've always enforced is to ensure that when there's that there's a pause, both front rows are, are stable and stationary, and they engage on the on the call of the referee. So, and I think it's it it it, it has made a huge difference, but um, there definitely has been issues. You know, I've, I I work with with the referees to follow a very basic approach to scrummaging. Um, not many of them have played in the front rows, so. You know, um, it's it's always just a learning curve. And the process that I follow is to firstly ensure that your tight head is straight, that they're binding on the body, not on the arm. You see a lot of tight heads binding on the upper upper arm of the loose head. You want your tight head straight and you want your tight head to bind on the body and then you want your loose head to bind on the body. I saw, um, we're seeing some, often the loose heads either binding long on the on the on the bottom part of the shirt of the of the tight head or on their shorts and they 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 they're just pulling them out. You know, so well but we basically just want them both straight. And I always say to the referees to ensure that your tight head is straight first and then and then you can look at your loose head. You know. So um it's a really simple process. And what I also say to referees is if they have issues in the scrum and they're unable to determine what the problem is that they just need to bring the front rows closer and closer, just squeeze the life out of the scrum. You know, I mean, eventually the players will will get annoyed enough about being so close to each other prior to engaging that they would um, that they would you know start complying with, with what you expect of them. All right, that, that and and that is actually that is actually pretty good. If everybody stays square, essentially plays against plays on their own man, and. Mm-hmm binds on to the body and not onto the arms or 
doesn't or the loose head prop doesn't go and grab the shorts and whip the guy out and 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 then I think that we'll have a uh have a relatively safe pushing contest in in terms of scrummaging and then I think the last thing obviously is to keep the flankers from uh and and the second rows from kind of swinging left and 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 they they kind of have to stay bound and uh the defensive scrum half has to stay behind the ball and 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 not really go in and make plays from all sides positions, especially as the scrum wheels. I want to talk one one quick thing before we before we wind up. The whip wheel versus the driving wheel and standing up in the scrum and the calls and calling the dominant team in that area. There's times when the dominant team is going forward and then the defensive team stands up and for whatever reason the dominant team gets penalized. And you would you had done a video about that as well and you've done a video about whip wheels that we'll show to everybody as well. Can you just talk yeah. us through that? Yeah. Okay. My my approach to, to the scrum would definitely be that I want the referees to be working in the scrum the entire game. I want the referee to A, be aware of what happens when team A puts the ball in and be aware of what happens when team B puts the ball in. And I'm quite happy that they award a free kick immediately at the first scrum to against a team that is engaging early. Of course, you know I don't want them to give a free kick against a team who's putting the ball in five meters from their own goal line, so they turn the ball over right on someone's goal line. But you know, I would def I'm definitely supportive of an early free kick to sort that out. As far as penalising in the scrum, I really think that the, the referees could go a lot long um, a lot longer way of just managing the scrum and being aware of every single scrum, you know, is the one tight head starting to bore in? Is it something that you can manage? You can always go to the tight head and say, you're not pushing straight the last scrum. If you do it again, I'm going to penalize you, you know, and that way you can manage the game better rather than, you know, if you look at a lot of um, rugby around the world, there's just a lot of penalties, you know, and you have the, the props going, well, who was it this time? Was it me or was it him? You know, it, it really seems like, like it's a lottery system. And um, what is even more of a concern is that the referees are awarding penalties that are turning into points. And, you know, unless you're 100% sure, it's, I, I don't think it's a very good call to make to, um, to, to let the players know that, that you actually know what's going on in the front row. So um, as far as standing up in the front row, of course, I mean, if the entire front row, I mean, if the front row stands up, it's completely different to seeing one hooker pop up, you know. So if the one hooker's pop popping up, you need to look at the other tight set, whether they're boring in on them. You know, if the front row, if the whole scrum is going backwards and they stand up, you know, I, I don't see why the, why the scrum is such a complicated situation, but obviously a lot of referees find it very difficult to referee. But um, if you just follow a very basic checklist, you can make really good calls and you can manage the game so that players work with you rather than just... Um, penalizing them and um, make, making calls that, that no one is unsure of. Richard, will you, will you be able to provide the link to the guidelines on the application of the law as you guys had rewritten them for this season for, uh, for Jiro to put on the site? And, and would you be able to provide the link for the videos that you've given to the referees and the coaches over, over the course of the past several weeks so that the, the listeners and the players and, and, and other coaches who may not have received those videos, would, that they would be able to receive them? Would that be possible? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They, we pretty much, as often as we put video material out, we, you know, we just keep adding it, adding it to, the, to the one page and so that all, all the footage is, is all in one place. And um, 
Uh, I've actually sent the, the link through, but it's uh, usarmp.com forward slash USA Rugby. So, you know, uh, it's USA RMP is for um, referee national panel. So it's usarmp.com forward slash USA Rugby. So, all right, Richard. Um, well, that, if you're listening to the show, then you will already have the capability of clicking on that. Just one quick one from me. You mentioned mm-hmm. penalising the players. I'm a very strong believer in that That um, uh, empty threats from referees that go on. You see it all the time, uh, yeah. even at the international level. If you do it one more time, we're going to go in that area where I might pull out a card. You know, in the middle of a game, you, the player just wants to hear hard, fast facts. But I, mm-hmm. I think if you crack down, you might make four penalties in the first three minutes, but you'll have a pretty sweet game after that. Because the, Without the, a doubt. Because the referee, there's, there's, there's one sure thing, and Bruce, you'll agree. If a referee keeps saying that they're going to threaten, and it's 40 minutes, 50 minutes, 60 minutes, you can bet the <laughs> players have got, a lot, got away with a whole heap. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, 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 I do have one comment about that. Going in with a preconceived notion that you're going to make calls and be very strict early. No, 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 no. Could no, turn, you are, you, could you, turn no, a game into an. It could be nine nothing, for no reason. No, no, no. You're not. You are still enforcing the law, but what you're not doing is making threats to allow well, players to get I'll be away with, with it. You, what players want to hear, they don't want the lecture. Spare me the lecture. Put your hand up. That's it. Put your hand up and call the penalty. Spare me the lecture. Don't drag me over and start talking to me about stuff. Well, that's right. And that's Just, why you don't that's, want... That, that, that's you don't it. want to hear it 60 I, I minutes in. I agree with you in that sense. But I don't agree. I don't think that, like... No, you don't have to find know, penalties, it, it, Bruce. I'm not talking about finding penalties. I don't think you're looking penalties. to find penalties. And I, and I certainly don't... You know, you don't... Because what happens when guys go in to find penalties is they go in and they find them and then they stop calling anything for the other 75 minutes and it's a disaster. No, no, no. It's so not about finding... Just call the game. They need, but they they need to show some. They need to show balls at the start of the game, and that is the make sure that they're not going to be uh, railroaded by smart players. And they are. There's a lot of smart, wily players out there who can help yeah. referee the game, and they quite often they are the fourth referee. <laughs> it is it is essential for for referees to go out there and set their standard early, and I think that they, you know, I keep telling the referees that they set their standard by making good calls. And earning the respect of players straight off the bat, you know, you as as soon as you allow that, if you open the door where players can negotiate with you, they'll negotiate with you all day, hmm. you know. And I think if the referees go out there, make good calls, set the standard, players understand what they can and can't do, and you know, and if you if you set up that good foundation, um, it makes for a good game, it makes for a better game, definitely. Yeah, you have to be intelligent about the way you do it. You're not going yeah. in there some sort of ego drive. You, you, you're no. saying, this is not on, guys. Um, yeah. And then you're going to have a good game. It happens all the, yeah. uh, you see it all the time when, when the law is laid down from the very start. Because we appear to go in every match. Uh, I don't know. Every match seems to be a different beast. But um, sure. if, if, if you know, you, you're much better off knowing what the referee's opinion is on a certain part of the game two minutes in rather than in the 79th minute when the game is on the line. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt, you know, mm. without a doubt. Uh, you, you, you don't want the referee to be, to be awarding scrum penalties in the 79th minute that's going to mm. affect the outcome of the game. Don't talk to me about I've, I've seen a few of those. <laughs> <laughs> They've broken some hearts at the Waratahs. 
<laughs> I'm uh, sure that. Uh, yes, uh, I'll go back to I think it was 96 Wellington but that's another matter Bruce I'm over that so is Ewan McKenzie well no he's not you're not even you're not even a Waratahs fan anymore no I'm Reds I'm all Reds you're a Reds fan <laughs> so <laughs> it's out of your head already <laughs> uh, all right oh uh, uh, dear well Richard uh, thanks very much for joining it's been a pleasure to talk to you love to get you back on in the future to, to go mm-hmm. through a few things because it is uh, as a, a movable feast so we need to, to keep on um, keep on top of it yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I'd also like to talk to you sometime about the game system, which is a new evaluating system that we have in, in, the, in the USA, which I think is um, the first system that actually um, it assesses the referee's management skills as, as well as their um, decision making and accuracy on the field. You know, so I think it's a it's a groundbreaking evaluating system that that actually develops referees and evaluators at the same time and allows us to identify trends within referees, within evaluators and within teams. That's a great idea. That's, so, yeah. The evaluators, you know, there's always got, someone's got to keep an eye on the, the people keeping an eye on them. So I, I like that. That's really good. <laughs> well, it, bec- it becomes a big issue because a lot of times you see a quality referee when he's being evaluated, will referee to the to the nuances and quirks of the evaluator mm. as opposed to the game. Yes, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that what they tried to do is standardize the evaluation system so that is is less prevalent. So, Richard, what we'll look to do is we'll probably look to get you on after the college national championships in April and yeah. in, in May, early May, and that mm-hmm. and and right right around. That'll be right around the time that the Super League ends as well. And then okay. that, that'll be a perfect situation for you to discuss where, we, where we've been going into the Super League playoffs and the men's playoffs. And, and then we'll, we'll talk about you know, how we're progressing into the Churchill Cup and whether or not we have any, any of our referees who've been chosen for international duty or something like that. And, and we can acknowledge them on the show and acknowledge some of the work we've been doing and talk more about the game system and then probably further talk through these laws and, and their yeah. interpretations. Yeah, just, just to give you a brief idea what the game system is, is that we've taken data from all over the world and we've, we've established key, eight key performance indicators for referees, so numbers that they are to achieve, which is a total number of penalties and then um, advantage gain percentage, scrum reset percentages. So they have all these numbers that they are trying to achieve in a game and that scores half of the half of the evaluation and the other half of the evaluation is a score that they get from the amount of errors that they make. So, you know, they, they can't reach the key performance indicators by ignoring certain things in the game because it's balanced by the errors. So they have two parts of the game where it pretty much assesses the referee's performance. All right. Richard Every, thank you very much and for joining it. us. Thanks for your candor and uh, good luck as you implement the uh, law interpretations through the rest of Super League. Cheers. Thank you. Bye now. There he is, Richard. And uh, Bruce, thank you for your time as usual. And uh, good luck. Next game up, Super League. You're going okay? Yeah, we're on a bye week this week, so teams are going to even up to us as they, uh, as, as they catch up to us. They with their game in hand. And I think it's going to be a really interesting season. Golden Gate is going to be catching up. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to what's been going on in the Super League. And I'm looking forward to the following week in the Super League too. It's going to be great. And uh, so we'll just keep plugging along and the teams that you should be watching Golden Gate, um, Life University, 
AC Boston have proven out to be good teams. But then we also have the Chicago Griffins and Old Puget Sound Beach really pressing. And, and of course, Denver is a team to watch as well. And, uh, and the Chicago Lions, we'll see if they, if they can rebound from their opening season loss. But I'll tell you, this is it's going to be a very interesting season. And we thank Richard and, and all the referees for the work they've done. And on top of that, the referees are very – they are evaluated. And, and it is – it is not an easy process for them either. They are they are crunched every single week with their evaluation, and then they get video analysis on it, and it and they and they are very hard on them. So the improvement will come as it will come with the players, as with the with the system that Dave Hodges spoke about last week. And of course, they're crunched by everyone else: the media, players, coaches, you name it, the punters. So it's a tough job. <laughs> tough, tough job. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bruce McLean, thanks for joining us as usual. Thanks to Richard earlier on. That's Rugged Matrix USA 14. We'll be back next week.